What a beautiful day it is today. It's, uh, there's no better place to be than here, worshiping the Lord, right? Uh, I want to echo that welcome from Horace to everyone that's here, all the visitors. We'd love to get to know you. Um, I want to welcome all those that are joining us on the live stream. We're thankful that you're able to uh, tune in and be here with us, even if you can't be with us in person. I'm sure you've heard uh, the saying before that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Um, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I think we could change that word beauty, though, and it would mean the exact same thing to value is in the eye of the beholder, right? When you look at something, you place a certain amount of value on it that others may not. Uh, yeah, uh, Friday at the trunk or treat, I placed a candy wrapper in my sister's pocket, and she said, did you just put trash in my pocket? And I said, no, one man's trash is another man's treasure. I was giving her a gift. That's not true. I was just putting trash in her pocket because I didn't want to carry it. But you get the point. Values in the eye of the beholder, right? Uh, a, a couple months ago, I read a letter from my father, and that letter means a lot to me. I'd place a lot of value on that. But for any of you that had that same letter from my father, it probably wouldn't mean as much to you. You wouldn't have that same amount of value on it. There are few things in this world that have universal value for everybody. Um, maybe you have a, a few pieces of paper in your wallet. They, they get close. They have value almost everywhere in the world, but there are some places you can go where a dollar bill isn't going to get you anything. It's not going to be worth anything. There are few things in this world that have universal value, and that's where we're going to be in 1 Timothy. We're going to talk about something that does have universal value. We've been talking about um, the trustworthy statements in the books of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And we're down to the third one now. We're about halfway through. And the first trustworthy statement was that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom Paul is the foremost. Christ came to save sinners. That's something that is universally true and it always will be true for the rest of time. The second one was, if a man desires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And that task is always going to be noble, and that desire is always going to be a desire that we should encourage young men to have. And so now we're going to get into the third trustworthy statement today. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. The, the third trustworthy statement um, of Paul is that godliness is of value in every way. Godliness is valuable no matter what. It is universally valuable. So, we're going to look at three points on why godliness is valuable. Why is godliness valuable from this text? But before that, we have to understand what godliness is. What does it mean to be godly? And, you know, there's all these cliches, and I'm going to use one today uh, to help us remember these biblical terms, just like justified, just as if I'd never sinned, righteousness, right in the sight of God. Well, this one for godliness is God-likeness. That's what people typically use to remember this. God-likeness, being like God. We want to embody the characteristics of God. So what are the characteristics of God? Well, um, to go through a few, um, the first ones we typically think of, love and grace and mercy. Those are characteristics of God. But what does that love look like? Is it just God saying that he loves us? No, the love of God, having love like God, godly love is love that's put into action. Love that is shown. God so loved the world that he sent his only son 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. He sent his son. He acted on that love. Godly love is love that is acted upon. Maybe one that we don't want to think about a lot. Another characteristic of God that that godliness embodies is justice. God is just. And we need to be just, not in a worldly sense, where we're looking at the laws that men have made and we're so focused on those. We need to be focused on the justice of God, the fairness of God. When God says that something is right and fair, that needs to be our standard for justice. That's our standard for right and wrong. Our standard for morality comes from God. Another one, and I I told Russ that I was just going to mention this one and go right past it earlier this week. A characteristic of God, God is angry, so we all need to be angry. I'm just kidding. That's not what I meant. God is angry in the sense that uh, he has righteous anger. God is angry at sin. When people aren't righteous, when they're straying away from him, it makes him angry. Jesus got angry at one point. He, He went to the temple and he looked at it. And he saw what the temple was being turned into. And then he went to Bethany and he, took, he went to sleep that night and came back the next morning. And he cleared out the temple. It made him angry. It was a righteous anger what they were doing to God's house. And it can make us angry. It should make us angry when people are claiming that sin is good. When people are mocking God and, and putting God lower than he should be. That's something that can make us angry. There's so many more. We could keep going. Um, God is all-knowledgeable. God's all-knowing. Now, we're never going to reach that level. Russ is close, but none of us are going to reach that level. You know, a lot of us, a lot of you in here have probably forgotten more than I'll ever know. I'll never reach the point of having all knowledge, and none of us will. But knowledge is a characteristic of God. We need to strive to have knowledge. Strive to know his word, to know him. Because if we don't know him, how are we going to know what it means to be godly, to be godlike? We have to know the characteristics of God. So those are a few, and we could go on and on with this list. But to be godly means to be godlike. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the fact that godliness is valuable, and we're going to look through this text in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to see three reasons why godliness is valuable. To begin, godliness is valuable because it places good things in front of us. Godliness is valuable because it places good things in front of us. If you will look in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 6 first. That's a little small. I'm sorry if you can't see that. 1 Timothy 4. I'm going to read verse 6 first, and then we're going to back up to the start of the book, or the start of the chapter. 1 Timothy 4, 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. If you put these things, well, what things? It's the things going back to earlier in the verse. One of my favorite things to do is to go out and have meals with people. I love sitting down and having a good meal, right? The conversation, the fellowship, those are things that I really enjoy doing. It's one of my favorite things to go and do. But sometimes a meal can be derailed based on the food that's put in front of you, can't it? If they bring out some really bad food, someone's going to be in a bad mood and it's going to ruin what's going on with that meal. It's going to ruin the meal in a sense. And that's the idea here. Put these things before the brothers. It's the idea of serving a meal. Serving a good meal. A meal that's going to nourish them and fill them up. And they're going to they're be sustained because of this meal. That's the idea that Paul is getting across. So, before we get into what that good meal is, we have to read 1 through 3. And we're going to see what the bad meal is that they're actually getting. 
Chapter 4 and verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose, conscious, who, whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. There are some bad teachings that are not from Christ that are being perpetuated in the church in Ephesus. They're being taught in the church in Ephesus. And Paul says that these teachings are from the insincerity of liars. Liars with seared consciences. Liars that don't care about you or your soul. They don't care about any of that. They care about themselves. They're lying to you and they're teaching you uh, teachings that are from deceitful spirits and teachings and doctrines of demons. That's where Paul says that these are from. So what are these teachings? The first one in, in verse 3, they forbid marriage. Now some of you are looking at that verse and saying that doesn't make any sense because Jesus himself forbid marriage at one point in Matthew chapter 19. And Paul in 1 Corinthians forbid marriage when he said, you know, I wish that some of you would stay like me. Stay single because there's persecution coming and it will be easier if you don't have a family. When Paul says they forbid marriage, he's not talking about forbidding all marriages and that we're not allowed to forbid any marriages because imagine how far that would go if we're not allowed to forbid any marriage. What if, what if somebody wants to marry an animal? God wouldn't want that, would they? That's not a marriage that God would ordain. And we could go on and on, right? So when Paul says that they're forbidding marriage, what he means is they're forbidding marriage that God has not forbid. They're, they're forbidding marriage that's outside of where God has placed marriage. God says that marriage is between a man and a woman, and, and they're forbidding that marriage even. And I think an easy way to illustrate this would be Catholic priests. Why can't Catholic priests get married? Well, because they're holy, right? They're forbidding marriage where marriage shouldn't be for, forbidden. See, the reason that Catholic priests can't get married is because it was easier to send a Catholic priest, a missionary, to a foreign country and support one man than supporting a whole family. And so they made this rule that they couldn't get married because financially it was so much easier to support. That is an example of forbidding marriage where it shouldn't be forbidden. This doesn't mean that Paul is, is undermining the command of Jesus that um, marriage is the only reason to divorce is for adultery, uh, to then get remarried. He's not undermining that, right? We don't have to worry about that. So the first doctrine of demons is forbidding marriage, and it's forbidding marriage that falls under uh, the category of marriages that God accepts. The second one, they require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. They require abstinence from food, and the idea here seems to be going back to the law of Moses and, and those dietary restrictions. That's kind of the idea here. And Christians don't need to follow those things. The only dietary restriction we ever see placed on any Christian in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 15, the Gentile Christians were told not to eat blood. Now, now we could talk about if that command is for us today. Most of us don't eat blood anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But outside of that, there's no command for Christians, no dietary restrictions for Christians. So these are some doctrines of demons. And ultimately, what these are doing is they're making people less godly. See, these people didn't see the value of thanksgiving for what God has created. What God created was good, and they don't see that value. They don't see the value in marriage that man and woman by themselves aren't quite enough, and when, they, when you put them together, they're a complete unit. They complete each other. They didn't see that value, and it's taking them away 
from godliness. Because ultimately, godliness puts forward good things. This is not godliness. So then, Paul tells us what good things that godliness will bring forward in verses 4 and 5. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So some good things that godliness brings forward. First, in uh, verse 4, everything created by God is good. That's something that, that can be brought forward. That's something that if it's brought before you and you recognize it as a Christian, you will be nourished, right? If you recognize that when God finished creating this world, after every single day, he said, it is good. God saw the goodness in this world, and we need to be able to see the goodness in the creation around us. The next one, um, nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. We need to receive the good things in this world with thanksgiving. Give thanks to God. That's a good thing that if we have it in our mind, we are going to be more godly. Godliness is valuable because it puts these good things in front of us. And then the last one, it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. We need to make things holy by the word of God and prayer. Be in the word, be prayerful, and by doing so, we will be more godly. If you've ever wondered why do we pray before we eat, this verse is part of it. We want to make things holy. Now, does that mean that God reaches in and, and messes with our food and it's magical and it nourishes us better than food that's not prayed for? Not necessarily. The idea is giving thanks to God for what he's given to us, right? We need to give thanks to God for what he's given to us. And if we put these good things before the brothers, if we put these good things before ourselves, like a meal that's good, it's going to nourish us and we're going to be more godly because of it. We will be a good servant of Christ Jesus is what he says in verse 6. So godliness is valuable because it puts forward good things. It puts good things in front of us. The second point, godliness is valuable because it trains us, it disciplines us to see what's really important. Um, starting in verse 6, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Um, when I played baseball, there were exercises that we did that other sports didn't do, right? We lifted weights, but not as much as a guy, like an offensive lineman in football, right? We had some guys on my baseball team that lifted weights more than they should have. I'm pretty sure that they did steroids, but I'm not 100%. But they, they were really strong. Their muscles were huge, right? And what it caused, they were doing the wrong exercises for the wrong sport. What it caused was their shoulders got too big, the muscles were too big, and so when they went to throw a baseball, they couldn't get the right arm motion, and because of that, they were worse baseball players. And you can do the same thing for football. If you only focused on running and never lifted weights, you wouldn't be a good football player, right? You wouldn't be strong enough to be a good football player. There's the right exercise for the right thing that you're doing. You have to train for the right thing that you're doing, right? And that's what Paul's saying here. Godliness is valuable because it trains us for the right things. It trains us in our lives to see what's actually important. If you look at this text, um, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you followed. Being trained, being disciplined. That's the first godly thing that we have to train for. The words of the faith, the good doctrine, the words that made you believe in Jesus. You need to train in those things. Back from verse 6. There we go, at the bottom. 
those are things that we need to train for that will make us better Christians. If we're training in the word of faith and the good doctrine, if we understand the message of the New Testament in Christ, we'll be prepared for what the world can throw at us. If we're trained in those good things. The next one, in verse 8, train for godliness. Um, Or at the end of verse 7, train yourself for godliness. And once again, that word for train is discipline yourself. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to work at it every single day. You're going to fail at times. But you have to train every single day to look like God. God God-likeness. You have to train every day to look like God. And then he tells us what not to devote ourselves to at the start of verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Are you training yourself for godliness or are you training yourself for things outside of God that don't matter? Are you more so on Facebook looking at politics than you are in God's book reading his word? We have distractions all around us. We're distracted by our cell phones. We're distracted by our TVs, by the news. We're distracted by everything. Godliness trains us to look through those distractions and see God. To look through those distractions and see his word. Politics are an irreverent silly myth. They have no place in God's church because it's not God's business. That's not God's business. That's the world's business. God's business is right here in his word. His people looking like him every single day. So don't train yourself for things that don't matter, things outside of God. Train yourself, discipline yourself to look like God every single day. And he says um, in verse 8, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Exercising is good. That's what he's saying here. It's good to exercise. It's good to be healthy. But godliness is even better. Training yourself for godliness, working every day to be godly is even better for you than any physical exercise could be because godliness is a value in every single way, in in all aspects. Godliness is universally valuable. It holds promise for the present life right now and for the life to come in eternity. If you're godly, your life will be better now and it will be better into eternity. Physical training is good, but godliness is just so much better. And training, part of training is helping you respond in the right way, right? I'm talking about, you know, lifting weights and running and physical training, but there's mental training for sports as well. In football, you have to memorize a playbook and understand that if, if the defense is lined up like this, we need to run this play differently because it's not going to work, right? There's mental training that has to take place. We have to be trained mentally to see God through any distractions that the world is throwing at us. Godliness is valuable because it trains us to see what's important, to see what's really important. So godliness is valuable because it puts forward good things. It's valuable because it trains us to see what's important. And then finally, godliness is valuable because it gives us hope. Godliness is valuable because it gives us hope. How do you get through um, hard things? What helps you get through those things? Thinking back to when I was in high school and I I used to work out more, when I couldn't drive, my grandma would pick me up. And so I'd be in the middle of this workout and it would be hard and I'd be ready to to just about give up. But then I'd think about something good. I'd think about my grandma coming to pick me up. And every time that she picked me up, she'd ask if I was hungry. And so I'd go get a Dairy Queen blizzard every day after school. And that was something that I looked forward to. Looking forward to something sweet, looking forward to something good helps you when you're going through hard times. Godliness is valuable and it's good because it gives us hope as we're going through hard times. Starting back in verse 8, godliness is a value in every way 
as it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Verse 9, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive. Here's the reason why we do what we do. This is, this is the end result. This is why we're doing what we're doing as Christians. Because we have our hope set on the living God. We have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. Why do we do what we do? Because we're focusing on that hope that we have through God. That's how you can make it through hard times in your life. When, when life is beating you down, when it's not easy, focus on that hope that you have through God. Ultimately, because you believe. You're one of those at the very end, especially those who believe. And because it says there in verse 10, he is our savior. He's the savior of all people. Without God, you cannot be saved. And since you've believed, since you've accepted him as your savior, savior ultimately, you have hope. And then verse 11, command and teach these things. Forbidding marriage, staying away uh, from certain foods, that's what was being taught. And Paul said, here's what you need to teach. Teach that godliness is valuable. Teach about the hope that you have through God as your Savior. Those are the things that we need to teach. Those are the things that we need in our lives. Life is going to be hard, but if we focus on the hope that we have, it's going to be a lot easier to get through. Godliness is valuable, universally. Let me read that trustworthy statement one more time. In verse 8, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. In every way, as it holds the promise for the, uh, the present life and also for the life to come, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Godliness is valuable. But once again, value rests in the eye of the beholder, the person looking at it. If you're stranded in the ocean and you see a life preserver, you're going to be thankful for it, aren't you? You're going to want to be on that ocean and you're going you're to want to be at the top. You don't want to drown, right? Our world is stranded in an ocean, and the life preserver is godliness. The life preserver is God, but they look at it, and they see $1,000 floating in the water, and they think that's what's going to save them. They see possessions, and they think that's what's going to save them. As Christians, godliness tells us that being with God, being like God, is what's going to save us. That's what we need more than anything else in this world. Godliness is valuable. Godliness is valuable because it puts forward good things. We don't need to focus on those teachings of demons, those doctrines of demons. We don't need to focus on the irreverent, silly myths that are being perpetrated in the church in Ephesus that are around us every single day. Things that, that are irrelevant to God. We don't need to focus on those. Instead, we need to focus on the hope that we have. Godliness is valuable because being godly gives us hope. Don't focus on those things. Focus on the good that's put in front of us. Focus on that hope that comes through God. And godliness is valuable because it trains us to see what's really important. There's so many distractions in this world. And looking like God, God-likeness will help us to see through them. Will help us to get through them because we want to be more like God than we are like the world. That should be our goal, to be like God and not like the world. This morning, if you have a need, we'd love to assist you. Uh, if you haven't committed to being godly, you haven't committed to being like God, we'd love to help you with that. Um, the first step in that is accepting him and, and being baptized in the name of his son.